everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach, National College football writer. She's Grace Rayner, our Clemson beat writer. Grace has been on the ground as spring practice has gotten underway. Feels like it was just yesterday that we were at the college football playoff, but it is already a new season. Um, we already have, you know, some new storylines and, and really just some, some new comments about how it all ended. And, um, Grace, you've been there and, and what is the vibe as, as I guess we're technically turning the page to the 2020 season? And that, that's actually like kind of weird to think about that. It is. It's, it is. It's been like, it feels like it was just yesterday that we were in New Orleans, but I know it's been a couple of months, but still. Right. Just like it's crazy. been two months. I don't know. That part of it is always so weird to me because Clemson in particular is usually the last one off and the first one back on. Like Dabo sits down every year and does this 13 month calendar. So he knows exactly when they're going to start with spring practice every year. But I mean, what? We left New Orleans on January, what was it? 14th, 15th, mm-hmm. 14th. Yeah. And then, yeah, by February 26th, an entire new team is in the building, which is weird. But, um, and you and I have talked a lot about this and we've talked a lot about it on this podcast, how, um, you know, we really thought that New Orleans was going to be the last time we saw Travis Etienne and mm-hmm. lo and behold, here we are in spring practice and, and he's back. So that's been the, the biggest thing this week was Travis spoke for the first time, kind of going through, okay, this is how and why I decided to come back. And he became an instant fan favorite among American college students as he admitted that he knew what he was going to do, but delayed so that he could skip class and play 2K. well i mean yeah yeah that would make him um a fan favorite and very very relatable relatable content coming from travis Etienne. um and and so in your piece kind of breaking down his decision to return you know he was talking about that that he knew for a few days and all these things but you talked to his mom and his mom you know understood what was at stake and that it, it sounded like the family was prepared for either decision. They were, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting hearing it from Travis's perspective and then from Travis's mom's perspective. Um, but basically, they, you know, they, they were prepared either way. And every year, you know, Dabo sits down with his draft-eligible prospects and kind of has a private conversation about where they are, the feedback he's hearing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he really always opens it up to the player first. He kind of wants to gauge what they're thinking before he gives them the feedback that he's gotten. So he sits down with Travis in December, and that's kind of when Travis starts floating the idea of coming back. Um, and that instantly kind of caught Dabo off guard. Um, but then you get into, you know, they're in New Orleans, and his mom had said, you know, he, we, we do everything as a family, and we make all of our decisions as a family, but also – you know, the national championship had literally just ended. It was a, a real personal game for Travis, as we all know, with LSU and the Louisiana Connections. Um, so it was kind of quiet around the ETN home for the first two days after the national title. And so they just kind of felt like they wanted to give Travis some space, wind down. You know, it had been an emotional week, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but basically, she says that, you know, day three that he's home, he wakes up and she's basically like, Travis, like, what are you going to do? And he just very nonchalantly says, I'm going back to school. And she was like, oh, all right, then then there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so and of course, they had had this was all in their living room. And they mm-hmm. had like a big conversation with all of Travis's siblings and both parents and, you know, grandmother was involved and all that good stuff. Um 
but you know she had said it was his decision and and they were gonna prepare either way and I thought it was interesting that she had said too that you know Travis just turned 21 in uh, in January and so she kind of felt like as a mom like I don't know if he's mature enough to be a millionaire right now you know money and millions of dollars that instantly can really change someone. So mm-hmm. um, the whole ETN family was on board, but it is it is really interesting and cool to kind of hear like, you know, we, we, we forget that after the national championship game, you know, these kids are going home and have basically 72 hours to make the biggest decision of their lives. Right, exactly. And, that, and that's why you end up having to have these conversations or at least floating ideas in season, which is not always the best time to do it because you got a million other things going on. Um, I do think, you know, shouts to Travis Etienne staying on campus, getting some cheap campus drinks now that he is 21. That is a part of life that you need to experience because <laughs> drinks get expensive in major cities where NFL teams are located. But yeah, Travis is like, it seems like he's really living his best life right now. Like, good. I mean, you should like that's part of, you know, I think about this when you have, especially this is, you know, a little bit more of an issue with college basketball players, right? Because they go. They have to go when they're 18, 19. And, you know, you hear Zion, you you hear some of these players talk about like how much they actually liked being in college and like on a college campus. And they wish they could stay, but they couldn't. And it's almost like that that's the, the blessing in disguise with the three-year rule for college football is that you do actually spend time on campus. You do actually get more of a college experience that you could decide you want to have for one final year when you're making that decision. Or like if you decide not to transfer or something like that, right? Like there are all these pieces to the puzzle that are not just money or playing time, but you know, it sounds like, you know, especially if you're just lounging around playing 2K and, you know, valuing your time with your friends, um, you know, th- those are things that matter to, to college football players when, when you are weighing these types of decisions. Yeah. And I've always especially with Travis, you know how sometimes you can just kind of get the vibe of the guys that, you know, just really enjoy the college experience. And then you have the guys that, you know, you probably know, okay, these guys are going to see themselves out as soon as they have an opportunity. And that's, you know, everyone has different situations, all that good stuff. Um, You know, everyone should make their own decision for what's best for them, of course. But Travis is just a guy, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like Travis loves college and you could just kind of tell, like he went and watched the NFL combine from a pizza place, you know, he was watching Isaiah (laughs) run the 40 and he was like, man, I got to go do some push-ups. Like, I don't know. He just, he just seems like a kid who loves, you know, being on campus and in a tight-knit community. He, he comes from a very tight-knit community himself. Jennings, Louisiana is very small. Um, so I don't know. There's just, you know, he, and he had basically said, look, if I'm destined to be a second rounder, which the feedback that he got was late first, early second. And he was like, if I'm, I think I'm a first rounder, but if I'm destined to be a second rounder, then I might as well have a diploma and a, and a degree. If that's my ceiling anyway, then I'd like to graduate first, which I respect. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's talk about the combine a little bit because um, we were there. We had our college football staff summit. Um, so we were actually in Indianapolis. We were bouncing around. We saw um, Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer, and I saw Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. She freaked out. Oh, my um, gosh. But queen. <laughs> we were – but we were so we were you know intermingling with with all the NFL folks there, and then um, you know keeping tabs on what was happening at the actual combine. And I don't know about you, Grace, but basically everything I heard and saw everyone freak out about was about Clemson players. I mean, it just sort of seems like the people who did not know how good Isaiah Simmons are is 
now know how good Isaiah Simmons is. And, you know, I, it just seemed like every Clemson player who was invited to the Combine had a moment and are now suddenly, you know, they've got that buzz or I don't, I don't know, whatever that terminology we use about, you know, guys rising in draft boards. But it seems like the Clemson contingent at the Combine performed really well. They did, for sure. And I think, too, like with Isaiah, I think part of the part that was so captivating about Isaiah's performance in particular is like we all knew, of course, you know, he is a total freak athlete. And I don't think anyone was surprised by it. But just for so long, we've just seen Isaiah just running around, like causing havoc, uh, total chaos in Brent Venables' system. And so just to see him as just like a pure athlete for a second where you don't have any pads on. You're not tackling anyone. Just go run as fast as you can, jump as far as you can, and leap as high as you can. You just get to see him in the very, like, stripped down, like, this man is an extreme athlete. Um, and I think that, you know, we got glimpses of that when he and Travis would kind of race each other and and that would go viral and all that good stuff. But, you know, it was just, a, I think, a, a reminder of, man, Isaiah was basically cooked up in a lab. Like, this this guy is just on a different level uh, physically than than most people. Yeah, and then, I mean, everyone, you know, obviously also freaked out about Tanner Muse. Um, you know, he ran a 4.43 in the 40. I mean, it, it just sort of seemed like, you know, this is a program that, you know, we don't always talk about, like, oh, they have a, just a ton of freak athletes like we do with, like, Alabama or LSU this year, right? But clearly, there's a, fun, a ton of freak athletes, and it was just very cool, like you said, to see them just doing these types of drills where – you just see that come out um, and you see, you know, how they've grown, how they developed. And I always find it really fascinating, you know, when you talk to strength coaches and, and about like how you get better with agility, how you get how you get better and faster when you're already pretty good and fast. Um, and so that's what I really like about the combine is to see those hundredths of a second improvements and tenths of a second and the way that people are going about the different drills and how they are trying to shave that time off and be better and faster and quicker. Um, and I just thought it was really fascinating, but I, I was glad the numbers showed it because, you know, we've watched Clemson's defense. We've watched Clemson and we know that there are those freaks out there. Um, Isaiah and Tanner have both received roses from this very podcast. I was about to say, you've been high on Tanner. You've been yes. an OG Tanner Muse supporter. Yes. So, um, so that was really cool. Um, and yeah, again, like, you know, it, it, that's kind of also one of the strange parts about spring football is, you know, you still got guys who, again, were on the team a month and a half ago, you know, kind of getting closer and closer to their, their dreams of the NFL. So, you know, we're monitoring that. We're also talking about, you know, the next, uh, guys up for Clemson. And, you know, I, I want to hear from the coaches, Grace. I know you, you talked to them for the first time since the title game. Um, and you know, obviously there's, there's no Jeff Scott anymore. So Tony Elliott's kind of the guy now. And I'm curious what they felt they learned from a game like that, that they can take into, you know, 2020 where, where they do return so many key pieces, especially offensively. Yeah. What, I mean, one of the things that I just love so much about Tony Elliott is he is, um, he's like extremely analytical. He's a former engineer. He thinks in numbers. And then so when he tells you like these are the things that we need to get better at, it's not just a coach saying this is what I'm looking for. Like he can back all of it up with data, which I thought was so interesting about what he was saying this week. But basically when they got back from Louisiana and broke it down, 
one of the, so the first thing they learned was that um, they were really good running the football, but that in short yardage situations, if they want to convert more efficiently, like they should, probably should get Travis more involved, which I think Clemson fans will be happy to hear because that's been kind of, you know, I mean, that's been a hot button issue. Travis's usage, he's gotten what I think 14 carries a game. So there's still a lot of tread left on the tires. Um, but it does sound like they're going to use him more, which I think most people will be really excited about. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing offensively that they're going to look to figure out is they were not great on third down, but especially on third and three. Um, so that's, I think, against LSU, they were one of 11 on third down, which was obviously, yep. I mean, what, 30 percentage points down from their normal? And the low, I mean, I think I remember this. It was the lowest it's ever been in a Dabo Sweeney game at Clemson. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I do think I remember hearing that stat. Yeah. So that was obviously an issue. And again, I mean, like LSU, the LSU game was kind of an anomaly. Like this was one of the greatest teams in the history of college football. But still, you got to be able to figure out how to convert on third and three. Um, and then the thing that I think I was the most interested by um, was that it sounds like Clemson, you know, they, they feel like they're at their best when they're tight end is involved, which has really not been the case since that 2016 national championship team uh, when Jordan Leggett was out there as a real, like a real uh, factor in the passing game. Right now their, their tight ends have not been super involved. So they're going to want to get that up and get the tempo up. They were running about 72-ish plays a game in 2019, um, and they're, they're aiming to get back up towards 80. Okay, so those are all things that I think Clemson fans – absolutely want to hear about um and and i wonder you know what about some of the players who might be emerging because i think that's also part of it especially as we talked about with certain defensive standouts leaving um who is who are the the guys that the coaches seem excited about yeah so this crop of early enrollees is statistically the best ever under Dabo mm, Sweeney. This mm -hmm. is his first top five class. So we shouldn't be surprised that this is a really, really good class. Um, but we've heard a ton about Miles Murphy, the mm -hmm. defensive end from the Atlanta area. We've heard obviously a lot about Brian Brzee and kind of how they're going to use him. I know there's been some questions. Is he going to play tackle and end right now? They're just going to keep him at tackle, but he's kind of a jumbo package guy. Like I, I expect Dabo to use him in that fridge package. So we've heard a lot about those two. They seem to be really pleased with the incoming freshman offensive linemen. They've got three early enrollees on campus right now. DJ Uyunga Lele, which Google Docs has now recognized as a word oh, for me. Excellent. It's Proud. been amazing. Like Google Docs is now correcting me when I get it wrong. So I just, wow. I honestly it type learned. UI and then I just kind of sling my fingers across <laughs> the keyboard and it works. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So he's been good. And then um, this one I think Clemson fans will be really excited about is EJ Williams, the wide receiver from Justin Ross's high school. They say mm -hmm. that he is um, kind of like a faster version of Justin Ross, like his top end speed is wow. better and he's very smooth. So that wide receiver pipeline seems to be alive and well. So, yeah, so it sounds like the defensive lineman pipeline looks good. Quarterback pipeline looks good. Wide receiver pipeline looks good. <laughs> yeah, really the only pipeline right now, which will be fine come time for the season. But right now they do they are a little thin uh, with cornerbacks because they've got three scholarship corners who have all been dealing with injuries. DK had a hamstring. Mario Goodrich is nursing an ankle. And then Andrew Booth Jr. had surgery on his knee. So the cornerbacks group was looking a little thin. 
but that's nothing that they'll be able to that's nothing they won't be able to you know fix before the actual season starts Okay, so what um, what what are they trying to get out of spring? I mean, because you know, obviously, you know, when you do return so many experienced players at positions like quarterback, and you know, obviously the top receiver, you bring back Travis, you bring back these guys. Um, it's not like they need to learn a new playbook. It's not like anything like that. Obviously, there's going to be some adjustment where just Tony Elliott, no Jeff Scott. But like, what exactly are are is is a program like this working on? this time of year yeah so i think that they are first there's some position battles that kind of need to get worked out and i think first and foremost you're looking at the offensive line Mm -hmm. we know that entire unit except for jackson carmen is out the door so um that is kind of i think a, a a really fascinating one to watch because Clemson already in the spring uses the spring period to cross train its o linemen and so now you have that wrinkle, which happens every year, but then you have the wrinkle of, okay, you also got to figure out like who the other four of your five starters are going to be. So mm-hmm. Robbie Caldwell is going to be extremely busy. Um, you know, I think they're going to start evaluating kind of who's going to take that next wide receiver spot between Joseph Ngata and Frank Ladson. T. Higgins obviously leaves a vacancy there. So I think they're kind of seeing, you know, is one of them going to emerge after a very similar 2019 seasons? Um you know, and then a couple of them have switched positions. So I think that they're going to look at, you know, who fits where, what are the pieces. They're reinstalling everything. So some of these freshmen's heads are spinning a little bit. Uh, but I think they just want to lay a good, solid foundation before, you know, they're off until fall camp where they feel good with installation, position battles, freshmen learning what they need to learn, just, you know, kind of resetting and, and getting ready for what should be, I assume, another college football playoff season. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd, we'd all be pretty surprised if, uh, you know, barring catastrophic injuries, knock on wood, uh, that that does not happen, particularly kind of with the state of the league right now. And obviously there's some programs on the rise, but not quite up to that level, which actually brings me to another conversation. Um, another topic I wanted to get your thoughts on, Grace, is our colleagues, uh, Stu Mandel and Bruce Feldman, both ran lists this week about their their top 25 head coaches in college football. Um, Obviously, so in Stu's, it's Nick Saban, Dabo Swinney, 1A, 1B. Um, In Bruce's, Dabo's 2. I mean, we don't need to nitpick either of those about where Dabo is, but I'm curious, like, what jumped out to you about their list in general with some of the other coaches that, that we see a lot in the ACC um, because I, I do think, you know, there's some that I would, I think are too high or too low, um, and, and all of that. But, you know, I do think it makes sense to have Scott Satterfield in there. You know, he's 18th in Stu's. Um, not sure where he is in Bruce. He's 10 in Bruce, which is, okay. Yeah. 10 is maybe a little high, but, um, you know, obviously he's done a remarkable job. It's clear that it's not just what he did at App State. He's able to do this in other places as well. Um, you know, I think that obviously jumped out to people. Mike Norvell, you know, comes in on this list, you know, just under the cut and stews. Um, I think he's somewhere. Where is he on Bruce's? Why is it hard to look at these lists? I need. <laughs> you know, it is kind of tricky to pull them up at the same Maybe time. Maybe he's not on Bruce's. No, he is 25th. Okay. So, um, you know, he makes the cut. Um, I think that's probably, you know, uh, you know, he's done a good job at Memphis. We'll wait and see what he can do in the ACC. Um, but I was just wondering if you felt anyone was left out or if you agreed that those were kind of the names that made the most sense for the ACC right now. I mean, this isn't like a, 
entire body of work. I mean, there's definitely some recency bias in the way that they do these rankings because sure. it's a yearly thing. Um, what jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're looking with the ACC, Satterfield is the obvious one. So I thought that both of them were justified in putting them in his list. Um, so wait, th- just to be clear, the criteria was two years, right? So like Mac Brown, not eligible. Um, Ryan Day, not eligible, correct? Um, th- I know they did not consider Ryan Day because it was only one year. I, um, I'm guessing that Mac Brown could have. Oh, yeah, two-year minimum, I guess. So, hmm. I don't know if that means two year like consecutive minimum or I guess because I mean I bet if you want to if they wanted to put Mac Brown in there they could have but yeah that's weird because he's obviously been a coach longer than that Ryan Day hasn't um and I mean they did make this point you know Chris Peterson Mark D'Antonio Matt Rule are all gone in college football so they're not going to be on that list anymore um I guess they're holding Mac to that two year minimum but I was a little surprised not to see him. I was also surprised not to see Bronco Mendenhall. You yeah. know, it, what what he's done at Virginia, and especially considering what he inherited, and even by his own calculation, how few players on that roster were ACC caliber. Uh, I I would I would give him strong consideration for sure. Yeah, it's interesting too. I'm looking at it, and um, it's fascinating. I think Stu has Mark Stoops at 16. But Bruce doesn't have him at all, has him just mm. missed the cut. And then I also thought the most interesting difference was kind of where they where they landed on Jimbo. Um, he is 14 for Stu and I think six for Bruce. And obviously that's a coach that Clemson fans are very familiar with. But mm-hmm. yeah. I, I also think Harbaugh, the Harbaugh question and Stu not including him, uh, that that's something I would I, – I strongly disagree with. Um, I think, you know, not beating Ohio State – kind of clouds a lot of things, but he has beaten everybody else and crushed their two other rivals this year. Um, so I would have, I would have included him for sure. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, this is the right time of year to do lists. And, and we'll also mention that our colleague Chris Vanini just dropped a top 15 group of five coaches list as well. Um, which is worth considering. Cause I mean, I, th- I think that people like keeping an eye on the up and comers for sure. Um, in the sport. And coaches that could get bigger jobs. So it's interesting because it is that time of year where ranking and lists and things, you know, get people thinking and talking about college football in an otherwise quiet time. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I would I have some nits to pick, I think, with with uh, Stu and Bruce's list for sure. Yeah, I think Bronco is a good point. I mean, I'm, I'm, if I'm just thinking about the best coaches Clemson will see this year, um, I'm probably going to put Bronco on that list. I'm pretty sure their coastal matchup is Virginia. Um, Norvell, Satterfield, their in-division. I don't know. I mean, it's just like you could make however – I don't – how many college football writers do we have? However, 50 Mm. or whatever. We could make 50 completely different, unique lists, you know. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But I do think it's good to create discussion and, you know, get people excited in a – like you said, in a period that is – a little sleepy right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think that at the very top, there's no way to argue that Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney are not the two best coaches in college football right now. Because, you know, and we, we've talked about this a lot, is how they've done it and they've done it differently and how hard it is to sustain at that level and keep getting better. And they continue to do that. And and it really is remarkable. And, you know, you, you might say maybe it's easier with a more, 
you know, continuity like Clemson has had. But, you know, then you talk about, you know, continuing to develop and not lose guys and recruit at an even higher level than they ever had before and how difficult it is to retain assistance and, and how rare it was what Jeff Scott did. And, you know, all of those things, they, they do come into play. I mean, being a head coach is not just X's and O's. And so I think that that is um, – I, I completely agree that those two – I would have done what Stu did, which is, you know, 1A, 1B, um, have them share the top ranking – um, and, and go from there. So, you know, I do think that there is that respect and, and that is the correct level of respect for, for both of those coaches for sure. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, that, that goes along with Dabo has always said he's from the very beginning, he has said, you know, staying at the top of the mountain is much harder than Mm -hmm. getting to the top of the mountain. Um, the consistency that it just requires every single day, you know, to maintain, a top tier program you you're right like there are two coaches who are able to do that right now and it's Saban and Sweeney and you know I I, I like the 1A 1B approach because it not only is there not like a one and two but it's very clearly like the next person is going to be three you know mm-hmm. yeah and and you're right and, and any coach you know who has won a championship would tell you exactly what Dabo did it is easier as hard as it is to do it's easier to get there than it is to get there again and, and to stay there. And I think that that is something that we, you know, I think as college football fans tend to take for granted, especially right now, just because we're so used to penciling in these teams. And that's why, you know, kind of it was surprising to not have Alabama there, right? And, ha- and to not see them at the level we're used to seeing them. And, you know, it, it it's something that we take for granted, that these coaches and these programs can just reload. Ohio State, you know, these are programs that don't, have rebuilding years. And that is just really remarkable in such a high pressure, high stakes world um, of college football. So on that note, let's wrap it up. Um, This was a great conversation about kind of where Clemson is midway through or early into spring ball 2020. Um, We will be back when there's news. So keep an eye on your feed. Uh, Just set it to refresh wherever you're getting your podcast, set it to uh, load a new one whenever we get a new one because we don't know when that will be, but it will be when there's things to talk about. And it could be the draft. It could be spring ball. Um, there's a lot of different important things going on in the world of Clemson, former and current players. Um, so for Grace Rayner, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.